This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. This week is episode 652. We've got a great show with Ed Light, CIH, and CSP, and we're calling it Practice to Research IEQ in the Real World. Ed's got a couple presentations from projects he's done in the real world, one that's uh, related to MERV-8 versus MERV-13 filtration, another one on COVID, and if we have time, we'll get to the third one, which is on climate change and mold growth, but looking forward to seeing what Ed is finding in the real world. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They're the reason we can continue doing the show. Our marquee sponsor is Instascope at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are the American Industrial Hygiene Association, AIHA.org, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, ACGIH.org, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute, CIRIScience.org, the Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA.org, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification, IICRC.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories, AEMLINC.com. Particles Plus, ParticlesPlus.com. TSI Inc., TSI.com. Sunbelt Rentals, SunbeltRentals.com. April Air, April, AIRE.com. Healthy Indoors Magazine, HealthyIndoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnik at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to Neil Zimmerman, PhD from Glendale, Wisconsin, who was first to identify aerodynamics as the scientific discipline that studies the motion of air. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for today, January 21, 2022, has been sponsored by TSI Inc., an industry leader in the precision instrumentation for monitoring of indoor air. Learn how to expand your IQ investigations at TSI.com. Here's today's IQ trivia question. It's a hard one. In the 1972 movie Deliverance, actor Billy Redden portrayed the inbred hillbilly banjo player. How much was he paid for his performance? Back to you, Joe. Wow. <laughs> that is a tough one there, Cliff. Good luck to our trivia people out there. All right. Today we've got Mr. Ed Light. Ed is a, uh, has degrees in environmental science from the University of Massachusetts and Marshall University down in West Virginia, beautiful area there, is a senior fellow of the American Industrial Hygiene Association, and he's authored over 40 scientific publications on the assessment and control of the indoor environment. He's also chaired several national scientific committees, and we always love getting Ed's feedback from the field. Ed, do we have you back? Yep. <laughs> All right. Great to have you, Ed. I know we you, you've lost your internet a few times, so if it happens, we'll just you know, Cliff and I'll keep talking until we get you back. So, welcome back. It's good to have you, Ed. Hey, what what 
you've been up to lately? I know um, it's been, you know, kind of tough for a lot of the indoor air quality people out there. You do more than indoor air. You do, uh, you do engineering type work. Um, give us just a quick overview of how things have been in the field for you recently. Well, I'm in the uh, unfortunate situation of having a kidney transplant. So I'm the one little group that the vaccines really haven't been effective for. But I, I've been going out there with faith in my N95 mask worn properly and keep testing myself. And <laughs> so far I'm okay. However, it's so infectious now with the, the Omicron uh, I, I, I'm not sure about that. And then, uh, that's my day job. My, my other hat is as a musician playing in bands and that's gotten all messed up over the last two years. I don't want to talk about that. Hey, hey Ed, well, you, Ed, do you know what your blood type is? Nope. Okay. <laughs> ask my doctor. I don't know. No, the re- no, the reason I asked is I'm, I'm O positive and, and there have been some studies that have come out that said that O positive people uh, have greater resistance than other blood types. And I've been in a couple of crazy situations where, you know, I was in a group of 19 people of which 17 people got it. And I was one that didn't and stuff like that. So um, I don't know. I just wondered. And I'm wondering what you're seeing out there, you know, as far as, and I know we've got a, a paper we'll, we'll be looking a PowerPoint we'll be looking at on this, but um, what have you been seeing with respect to schools and others and how they've responded to this COVID outbreak? Uh, I've been really disappointed in that. In, in fact, uh, working with schools has been a real major part of, what I do, starting with 40 years ago, I was in the health department starting their asbestos program, working closely with them. And, and uh, right now, our our company is engineering and indoor air quality. We're going great guns on our basic HVAC design and construction. And the school districts that we had been doing a great job on indoor air quality and moisture stuff in the past just... Uh, uh, aren't uh, hiring us anymore, and uh, uh, we've been presenting stuff to the schools on cost-effective COVID programs, which have totally gone out the window. Uh, and uh, you'll you'll see in my my talk that you know they're adopting uh, uh, very expensive approaches to portable filtration, or filtration, maximized ventilation. Instead of doing more focus work that would really help control the spread of infection, and I'm seeing now that that you know some of the schools that we've worked for have all this expensive gizmos in place and they're having outbreaks. So have fun. <laughs> well, let's go right to that PowerPoint, Ed. You were talking about IAQ researchers and practitioners have played an active role in responding to the COVID pandemic and they've been focused on specific changes to the building's operations and maintenance, but has this actually made a difference and can we do better? So those are the questions I believe you were asking and you wanted to try and answer with this, with this presentation. Sure. So, uh, let's see. And here we go. All right, let's do it. All right. So, uh, 
this week was the Healthy Buildings Conference that's been well discussed and promoted on, on your program. And despite its title of bringing together practitioners and, and researchers, it, you know, the, the real technical presentations are almost all dominated by the researchers. And as I have for, I guess, about 30 years participating in the international conferences, uh, I'm bringing my experience from the field into uh, in scientific principles and and uh, presenting on them. So uh, in this case, I've done a critique uh, of what the researchers in IAQ and the practitioners have been doing with COVID. And uh, uh, so here it is. (laughs) So what I'm going to cover is two key things. One is understanding the transmission routes, the way it's actually spreading in buildings. And I'm comparing the assumptions behind the stuff we're doing now with what the epidemiology is telling us. And what I've completed lately, and and I don't get research funds, we're doing this in our own time because we want to be informed and science-based in what we do. So I've done a review of all the COVID epidemiology that kind of pertains to uh, stuff spreading in buildings, what controls it, what causes it. And the, the other thing, the basic question that everybody's been talking about, the efficacy of COVID controls. So what I'm going over is the very limited evidence supporting uh, the operations and maintenance stuff in the building. That's not only HVAC, it's our cleaning. And uh, then comparing them to what the epidemiology is, is telling us. And then tying in these with what I call administrative infection controls, the boring old measures that uh, when I was in the health department 40 years ago, we knew about, you know, for infection on wearing masks and social distancing and washing your hands. So that's that's what I'll cover. And transmission paths, the way I, uh, you know, divide these things up are... And, and the whole question started with COVID. Is it airborne or not? Of course it's airborne. The important dividing thing is between close range and long range. It's basically your several feet. And then a fundamental question that nobody is, uh, or hardly anybody is, is considering, is does it circulate through the HVAC system? Is it actually discharged into other spaces? And then fomite, the surface contact. Uh, and I was really concerned about closely controlling this uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. And the more I've, I've studied it, the less concerned I am. And as a precaution, we certainly want to do uh, high-touch sanitizing as much as we can. And then the, the area of transmission that's been totally ignored is from sewage. So I'll, I'll go into these in the in the talk. All right, let's do that. So... Uh, th- you know, as we know, it's it's airborne, but the critical dividing point is what's close versus long range. The long range certainly potentially could be, uh, you know, HVAC ventilation and filtration can be a factor. However, 
close range, it's not significantly influenced by HVAC. And when we look at the evidence, almost all the spread is close range. And so what we're doing now is primarily based on aerosol science, mechanical engineering, hygiene, and a little bit of limited actual sampling out in the field to see where the virus is. And the assumptions that are being used to base all this stuff uh, on COVID response in buildings, it assumes that long-range transmission is important. And a lot of people say it's the dominant thing. And it's assumed that the infectious virus circulates through the HVAC system. And then all the portable stuff we're bringing in. Uh, you know, some technologies like UV have, have it well established that, yeah, it can control the stuff if it's set up right. However, exposure and how it actually exposes in the real world, in a real space, really hasn't been demonstrated for any of these. And then we got a lot of stuff that's selling like hotcakes. They haven't even established that it, it controls COVID, let alone reduces exposure. None of these have been shown by the epidemiology to reduce transmission. And, that, and that's what it's all about. We, we can't eliminate COVID in buildings, but we want to at least minimize how much it can spread. So epidemiology uh, is the science and practice uh, that is based on actual disease transmission. And when I was in the health department in, in West Virginia, uh, you know, 30 years ago, actually, gosh, it's 35 years ago now, uh, working, with, working with epidemiology is really important. And uh, it's, and it's uh, played a major role, as we hear on the news every day, in tracking COVID and informing the public health decisions. And it's been almost completely ignored by the folks dealing with indoor air and building operations and maintenance responses. And uh, we're very early in the pandemic, way back in history, in the spring of 2020, I, I uh, published a, 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 a paper in the ASHRAE Journal. I'm very active in, in ASHRAE now. And I said, what, we, what we need to focus the research on is the epidemiology and sampling of infectious viruses out in the field. And here, two years later, very little has been done to follow that up. There's been tons of research modeling this and that. Uh, uh, and epidemiology can contribute greatly to understanding and then backing up the controls of this type of infectious uh, spread. Now, Ed, let me jump in here. Why do you think there hasn't been more of a focus on sampling? Is it because we don't have the technology to do the sampling? Is it uh, because resources have been pulled in different directions? Uh, why aren't we? I, I agree. I haven't seen a whole lot of sampling, but I thought it was because it was difficult to do. No, and there's a real important point here that applies to lots of fields of IAQ. 
differentiating between what practitioners and what individual building investigations, uh, to the extent that sampling's even relevant or helpful, uh, it's usually misleading. And then what researchers need to do to understand this, they, they need, we've got a huge laboratory out there of buildings with COVID and people, a uh, little bit of data on, on the total virus, but hardly any on the infectious. Uh, and we're, so the big gap in, in my mind has been what the researchers uh, have done. There's some good data from the healthcare, not in other types of buildings, and hardly any on infectious. Meanwhile, the labs, uh, industrial hygienists and other people who play them on TV are out there sampling. They're doing these tracer gas things with data that really can't be interpreted or used, uh, in, in my opinion, to, to judge risk and, and help control stuff. So what I did recently uh, was a literature review of everything I could find in epidemiology of COVID that would relate to this question. And uh, so what I have, maybe we could post it on your website, is, is the, the literature review now has 62 references, citations, and I give you links. So if you don't believe me, go look at them. Uh, and uh, so on these different questions, here, here's what I found overall in the scientific studies. Uh, so 16 studies were related. Most transmission is close range. It's within several feet. Uh, long range transmission, yes, it's there. Uh, it's infrequent and it's generally associated with poor ventilation. And that doesn't mean ventilation with a little bit of CFMs below ASHRAE. We're talking about very poor negligible uh, situations with very poor ventilation or ventilation with airflow that it concentrates the virus. Uh, there's absolutely no evidence supporting transmission by the HVAC system. Uh, I, I, I assume from knowledge and experience with other pathogens, fomite transmission is, is going to be important. The, the, the research is showing that it's very infrequent. And although there's not enough data, and my public health approach is, uh, as a precaution, we, we've got to do some, but we're not going to use the advanced technology and shut down schools every other day to, you know, uh, to uh, sanitize all surfaces. And then uh, what I had been concerned about in my original ASHRAE paper, sewer gas and contact with like sewage, like sewage backups we deal with, that is a, uh, an exposure to in infectious SARS-2. So that's our literature review. What about just flushing the toilet, Ed? Anything oh on that? Oh, my gosh. There's, uh, you know, there are s studies, not specifically on COVID, but the, and you've had folks on your, your show. The toilet flushing uh, puts bioaerosols in the air and pathogens in the air. And, uh, yeah, so it's in... In fact, now you're hearing on the news all the time they're they're tracking COVID spread by 
monitoring the sewage. Yes. The plants. And that sewage is in the toilet. It's in the urinals. Uh, when you don't have the venting right, which then you get the odors coming out. And we work on these things for IQ all the time. Uh, and that's an exposure. And it hasn't been on the radar screen. Let me ask you it about a real simple. It's really critical. And, and uh, you know, we want to get proper exhaust and makeup air and, and ventilation. One of the things we found is uh, use of the, the electric hand dryers, which is saving trees, totally disrupts the airflow pattern in a bathroom. And push if you got infected people, it just pushes the virus in between them. And let me ask you this, Ed. Um, I've heard, and I believe there's research to show that closing the toilet lid when you flush the toilet lowers the number of bioaerosols released during that flushing. But most public bathrooms that I've been in don't have a lid to close. Is there any evidence that maybe adding a simple measure like putting a lid on a toilet would be helpful? Sure. I was going to joke that uh, I'd bring a a portable toilet cover around with me, but no. (laughs) uh, Anything to... uh, you know, reduce the the path that uh, you're covering the toilet. Uh, the simple thing I suggested in the beginning, and we were starting to consult with universities and and buildings, and then they stopped asking us in. They just wanted to, you know, buy stuff. And uh, so one of the things is just keeping the toilet stall door open in between uh, for exposures. Uh, like for individual bathrooms, like the teacher's bathroom, keep the door open in between. Use your exhaust. Uh, uh, you know, it, just recognize that it, it's 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 in wastewater. Uh, it's in. There's some epidemiology suggest it was coming up in the sewer gas, and that's how it was spreading. Because so many places, the traps dry out, and the sewer gas comes up, and they call us in a year later. They don't. They've been testing for everything. We go in and say, "Yeah, the, this odor is sewer gas." <laughs> <laughs> we get paid for it. Okay. All right. So you got another one up here, enhancing the HVAC system. Tell us what you're talking about here, Ed. Yeah. So uh, first of all, th- this slide on the right it shows you know a typical what air mixing should be from a typical HVAC with uh, diffusers on the ceiling and it should mix the air and, and pull the air out uh, and that's good for minimizing the risk on the other hand there are things that, that go on that that concentrate the air one of the you know, we're working with unit wall mounted unit ventilators and fan coils these are all over the place in schools and Working with my engineers, they understand air distribution. They said, look, these things are going to expose anybody with a desk nearby. And so I said, oh, let me go out with my smoke tubes. We saw exactly this. So the, you know, within about, you know, 10 to 20 feet of these unit ventilators, they're going to get the discharge through the breathing zone. They're going to get the return path through the breathing zone. This is a very simple thing to control he said well make a little buffer zone around them but the 
that that apparently uh, hasn't been recognized in lieu of trying to throw out noisy, happy units that don't really control the spread between individual people. Uh, and on the uh, on the filter side, you know, the idea is to maximize filtration. Uh, this sounds good; it could be good, but only if the virus is passing through the HVAC system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, with uh, the ventilation, like increasing ventilation rate, has not been shown to be associated with. The transmission from the epidemiology. Improved filtration has not been associated with reducing transmission. Uh, then Let me stop have, you right there yeah. for a minute, Ed. All right. You're saying it has not been associated. Could that be it has not been associated yet? The studies just, I mean, this is fairly new. Or are there studies that show there is no association? Uh, okay, First of all, uh, what we're basing it on is what's been done. And there has been some stuff done. Uh, The best and about the only uh, properly done epidemiology on HVAC circulation was in our old friend, the the Diamond Princess ship. When they quarantined those people uh, into cabins, they had a actually a pretty good HVAC system with good ventilation, and it was a central system going out to all the cabins. And the epidemiology showed that uh, only cases that developed then were where the cabin mate uh, in that cabin, uh, you know, married or unmarried. That's that's none of my business, uh, <laughs> but. That that's what there were no cases in the cruise cabins that didn't already have a active case in there, and they were breathing HVAC air. Uh, and there's no other studies to look at that. What where the positive studies have been? There uh, there's several cases that are well known, like in the Guangzhou Chinese restaurant, uh, where it did spread long range but it was not circulated through the HVAC. It was really bad ventilation in each of those studies, the classic studies you hear about where it was airborne and and spread. Uh, And uh, there haven't been enough studies. There have been hardly any, but what we have shows that filtration and ventilation beyond restoring ventilation where there's virtually none and the airflow, like, you know, going through schools, there's there's spaces that are dead spaces. There are orphan rooms that were changed and have no ventilation, and the the, the supply and return vent setup is ridiculous and is not, you know, is leaving dead areas and so on. Uh, so that that's where we are. And then we get to air cleaning. The situation's even worse. Uh, uh, in in terms of the backup data, so we know that uh, some of these, like UV and portable HEPA filters, yeah, that they have a effectiveness against the virus, uh, but not overall uh, demonstrated in a, in a whole space 
with the actual virus. There's surrogate tests going on. Uh, so the important thing on those proven technologies, the portable HEPA units, they have to be placed, designed, and maintained to have an effect, and then they're going to have very little control on the close-range passage of it. Uh, the UV, uh, you know, can has been shown to, to work in healthcare, but in in just regular buildings with dilute, uh, you know, potential for SARS two, there, there's no data at all. Uh, and then our all our other air cleaning stuff that's selling like hotcakes, there's not any, uh, you know, some of them have a little bit of efficacy data, but nothing showing they can control the exposure and absolutely nothing verifying that they reduce transmission. Now, let me, let me clarify here. I, I don't think you're saying don't use better filtration, don't. Make sure you have good ventilation. What I think you're saying is you don't necessarily have to go above and beyond what a typically well-operated, under-the-ASHRAE standard type of building would have. Yeah, and the question about IEQ is separate, but it really all fits in, that we want we want to have... Uh, Adequate ventilation, adequate filtration. There are other things involved in, in achieving good IQ and source control, maintenance, and, and so on. Uh, however, buildings and building systems have a limited budget, and to alle- and a budget to they can put into COVID control, and in uh, allocating that budget. I'm seeing school systems sink millions <laughs> into portable equipment and going to all more of 13s. And, and we'll see in the end of my discussion where I think that could that money could be uh, used to actually reduce transmission instead of just kind of looking good to the public and politicians. But, uh, okay, well, let's yeah. keep going. And, and as a precaution, uh, if if the administration uh, of buildings understands the limitations, we are saying take cheaper things to increase ventilation as a precaution. Uh, you know, portable HEPA filters, if done right, could help in some situations, although not everywhere. And but you need to understand. What's the cost-effective solution here, and what does the science show? So that's that's my modest contribution to this. Okay. Okay. So now we get to surface cleaning. Uh, and so one thing that's been shown uh, very clearly is that just basic surface sanitizing, in, in fact, basic surface cleaning effectively inactivates the, the SARS-2 uh, until somebody comes along that surface and infects it again. And that more expensive technology and more intensive strategies for cleaning uh, haven't been shown to reduce the transmission at all. Uh, and as, as far as COVID, 
There's been no conclusive findings that sanitizing reduces it. But again, my, you know, my experience in environmental health and public health, as a precaution, uh, there's, we, we still want to do high-touch sanitizing uh, as much as we can. And don't forget that hand washing is, is a, in some ways is a better control because whatever sanitizing you do, it's going to get contaminated again. Okay, so you're, you're all on board with surface cleaning. Just don't overkill it and probably don't need to use very strong chemicals, soap and water, or maybe a broad spectrum disinfectant should be fine. Yeah, and initially in the pandemic, I was going in the buildings and thinking of my past experience and saying, oh, man, we, we're going to have to go beyond high touch points that, uh, that you know, surface contamination could really still be a factor. But as I'm looking at the science, uh, it doesn't look like that is or uh, it's, uh, you know, relatively unimportant and... Let's do a good job of of cleaning high touch, uh, and not go crazy with the other things. All right, so Ed, I got to get to. We're going from from the building operations and maintenance to our boring old stuff of masking, screening occupants coming in, limiting occupancy, and social distancing. And what we find here is proof and all over the place and consistent studies showing that these do reduce transmission and masking I found 14 studies social distancing nine studies and it's interesting the social distancing uh, verifies that the transmission is going within several feet so often because when you implement those controls the infections go way down <laughs> Uh, and uh, screening the occupants for are they vaccinated, are they positive, immediately quarantining and contact tracing, that really makes a difference in the building. It costs, uh, I'm seeing that there was actually more attention to it earlier in the pandemic, and that's kind of sliding now. Uh, Those are administrative things that uh, can really... uh, make a difference in spreading it, it, it you know not sticking up uh air treaters and cleaners that that sound good and have good advertisements and i gotta i gotta stop here for a minute and thank our sponsors but when we come back we'll get back into this presentation i'm, I'm enjoying this a great deal i like that last you know uh segment there where you basically give us some basic things that work i like that we'll be right back with ed light our marquee sponsor, Instascope. More jobs done faster with the future of IAQ assessment technology. Unlimited samples, instant results, and cloud-based data at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World, AIHA.org, ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, and Safety, Interested in Defining Their Science, ACGIH.org, The Cleaning Industry Research Institute, See More Deeply Through Science and Research, CIRI, 
Science.org. The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA.org. The IICRC, a nonprofit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry, IICRC.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories, free shipping, great pricing, same day results with no rush fee, AEMLINC.com. Particles Plus. Feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us. Particlesplus.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations. TSI.com. Sunbelt Rentals. Availability, reliability, and ease for all your IAQ and restoration needs at sunbeltrentals.com. April Air, healthy air, healthy home, April, A-I-R-E.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers, healthyindoors.com. All right, we're back for the second half of our interview with Ed Light. Ed, while I was uh, taking a break there, I noticed a good text question. Vera dart sampling can show reduction in airborne concentrations of surrogate viruses, but little data is available to show reductions in infections. Just exactly what you've been saying. Is there any data to document the infectious dose of SARS-CoV-2 or sampling methods? Well, that's really a, a medical and epidemiological issue. And, uh, and that that's that's a basic science question that's it's not certain uh we can look at what the exposure is but the bottom line the good thing about epidemiology is that will tell you what's actually making a difference in the disease the the exact calculation of uh, infectious dose and all the modeling being done is is really the basis for the decisions we're making, but it's uh, it's all kinds of speculation, very limited basic validating data uh, going into those. So that that's an interesting scientific question, but I, I'm looking at the bigger picture here. Okay, well, let's go back to your presentation then. Okay, uh, the bottom line here is I'm comparing the typical strategy that's being used in buildings with what I would recommend based on my study of the epidemiology. So first of all, these administrative measures, which cost a lot of money to do right, and that's getting the masking, social distancing, and screening, and limiting the occupancy or the traffic, uh, that is absolute top priority in my recommendations as far as allocating the money. And on the other hand, what's typical now is, is O&M and, and uh, uh, the, you know, very expensive uh, uh, maximizing ventilation, filtration, and sanitizing is uh, being focused on by the public and politicians and adopted by the school districts and building owners. And I got a quick question on administrative controls. In that slide, you showed someone getting their temperature taken with an IR uh, thermometer there. Are you saying that should still be being done? Well, so that's a good K-1 
catch uh, the some of the latest. Uh, I'm following the medical stuff on this too, and they're actually saying that uh, you're trying to track everybody's immediate temperature like that really hasn't uh, given us much more than catching the people who are coughing like crazy and. Uh, so th- that was just an example of screening but, occupants. But, it's, uh, but what's wrong with catching the people that are coughing like crazy? It's a little bit 2020. This is unbelievable. This is 2022. So the, the medical stuff really is advancing and advancing. And the epidemiology is advancing, but it's in the medical area, not in the environmental. Okay. But I, it seems to me like, Hey, what's wrong with catching the people that are coughing and getting them out? And what's oh wrong with gosh, catching yeah, the people yeah. that have, you know, um, a, a fever and, and making sure they're not in the building? I mean, it seems to me that it's, you know, fevers aren't just from COVID. They're from many different types of infectious diseases and that you'd be doing the building at a little bit of a, a, a service by not letting those people come in. But maybe I'm wrong. Oh, oh no, no. That, uh the idea of screening people is really important and really effective. The exact procedures of what you do, uh, the temperature thing is, you know, it might catch a few people, but uh, they're getting caught in other ways. And so overall, you want to spend a lot of time and hassle doing that versus other things. Boy, screening people for vaccination status, for uh, apparent active symptoms, uh, you know, seeing if they've been exposed, that kind of screening is, is real important and much more effective than sticking a, you know, a UV control in every room and paying for okay. it. All right. Uh, Let's go, go back to your presentation there. Then you got spaces with poor ventilation. Well, and so that epidemiology is showing cases, outbreak studies, where there's really bad ventilation or ventilation but really bad airflow patterns that was concentrating the virus. Uh, and the first thing I would do going in with school, and, and we actually haven't been asked back in schools, and you go through, you can identify visually and with some engineering knowledge, what are those spaces with poor ventilation and airflow? They are absolutely priority. You take immediate measures to fix that or you keep people out of those rooms. And, you know, we, we did that in the beginning with an office building and, and a school. And that's uh, that's not being paid attention to. The, the response uh, in buildings is usually all spaces are the same. Let's just maximize the controls. Uh, ventilation, we, we certainly want to promote uh, reasonable ventilation, uh, and the biggest bang for the buck, particularly in schools, is just get the stuff fixed. It's not working. Uh, we just see this all over the place in schools. You can restore a lot of ventilation just getting them to work by design. Uh, also, as far as ventilation, there are lower cost things you can do without just totally opening everything up and totally blowing your energy budget. Lower cost ways to enhance, you know, fiddle with the controls and and, and, and so on. Uh, as far as HVAC filtration, 
the emphasis all over the place has been MRF 13s. You know, increase your central filter uh, efficiencies. Uh, you know that that sounds good in theory, but in our experience, and you'll you'll see in our school study if if we have chance to get started on that filter bypasses. If if you look closely, is all over the place. That's yep. no filtration at all. Simply going through, finding them and sealing them. Uh, you know that's a great bang for the buck. It's going to improve filtration. And again, we're not even we don't even have evidence that that's a route that. COVID spreading. Uh, uh, the other uh, couple things here that are being done typically is uh, they're encouraging promoting air cleaning and air disinfection. And we're saying it's not generally applicable. There, there may be some places where proper use of portable HEPA filters could help. Uh, but all this... Uh, we're saying it's generally not applicable. Again, I've said this sanitizing high touch to the extent feasible and frequency, you know, what you can afford when people are in there. And maxim what typically is gone is maximizing that. All right. That's a good summary. So in conclusion, uh, uh, epidemiology has generally not been uh, considered in the IEQ community's pandemic response, researchers have failed to provide critical data needed to guide effective response. Practitioners uh, have uh, misdirected resources to measures not established transmission. So I closed at the conference saying, now that I've offended everybody, <laughs> I'm done. Because it's, you know, researchers and practitioners. And... Yeah, this stuff should and could be done better, and other people are making money on this, and we're plugging away with basic engineering and IEQ. <laughs> so that's it. Understood. And your final recommendations are research should focus on determining the prevalence of transmission routes and the efficacy of response measures. I like that. And the response strategies and buildings should focus on measures established to reduce transmission. All right, Ed, I think that's a good overview of that first one. Let's go to your second one. And sure. while you're setting that up, what I'm going to do is we're going to go to the roundup, and then uh, we're going to go through your, I think it's pretty quick, your comparison of MERV 9 to MERV 13. All right, John, let's go to the roundup. <laughs> The Roundup is brought to you by April Air, providing healthy humidity, ventilation, and air purity solutions for new and existing homes. April Air, healthy air, healthy home at aprilaire.com. Ed, before we get into that one, I, I got a comment here and I want to get your thoughts. Wastewater testing seems to be more reliable. Um, what are your thoughts on maybe doing more wastewater testing in these schools and other buildings? And then if you find there's, you know, exposure, maybe ramping up uh, some of the some of the responses. So this is my opinion. And this is really the same as, as IEQ, the role of IEQ practitioner and in building investigation testing for contaminants. And once again, like mold and, and VOCs, uh, 
I, I say that in that in that context is telling you very little. More often than not, it's misleading. And so the researchers need to do this to identify general pathways. Practitioners, you go with indicators. Uh, if it's if you're smelling sewer gas, you don't want to. If you if you have a sewage backup, don't let people be exposed. If kids uh, are testing positive for COVID. And, Make and, sure you do something. Okay. Yeah. So uh, an industrial hygienist, uh, I mean, they, they're just invested in thinking in terms of, well, I'm in here. I got a test for it. And that is uh, not the way to identify, recognize, and control exposure. So that's, well said. that's my All opinion. Right. Uh, now, I'm trying to get my screen back. Okay. While you do that, I'm going to read another text here. It says uh, schools uh, in reference to schools with poor HVAC operations and maintenance filter bypass and failed condensate drains were common problems in a big field study in California, but legislation and funding to address the issues was not provided until recently. See the 2003 car portable classroom study. I, I just, confirming that what you're seeing in the D.C. area has already been reported in studies out in California as well, Ed. Oh, my gosh. The whole uh, question of mechanical systems in schools, uh, you know, how common that they're not set up or not maintained, There's, they're not functioning well at all, and the impact that has on overall IEQ and on health of sensitive people. That, that's well known in all kinds of studies. And it's boring stuff to hasn't, you know, our maintenance, it's maintenance and custodial budgets. They keep going down. That's where the real uh, meaningful solutions to IQ health problems are. And now it's gotten all sexy and paid attention to with COVID and the response is putting in stuff that's, uh, controls that really aren't getting us anything well let's see if we can't help with that ed all right you've got another document up here i think we can pretty much quickly go through here but you're comparing merv 8 and 13 filters at an elementary school give us yeah, kind of the so, background real quick and then we'll take it from there so we actually for one of the school districts we work with uh they gave us an opportunity to do a, a very controlled study on virtually no budget uh comparing different kinds of filters and the school is split up to a bunch of small HVAC zones with several similar classes with similar rooftop units. You know, here's the roof. And the questions that school district had is, you know, they were being, this is back in 2017 and it's, it's widely promoted and marketed to, you got to go to higher efficiency filters. It, so they wanted to know is higher efficiency filters needed to protect health? Does the indoor air quality improvement justify the higher cost? Cause you, yeah, you are removing fine particles from the air. And these, this became super relevant in 2020 when all of a sudden ASHRAE and, uh, the general recommendation said to go up to MERV 13 if you can. So the scope of our study, we actually were given one year. We put uh, in uh, 10 zones 
different MERV-8 and MERV-13 filters. And then one zone, we use one of the most popular air cleaning systems, put that in instead of the filter. And we looked at them periodically. Uh, we tried to do a whole bunch of tests, but end up our observations were more important. It's, you know, we're not a funded research study with, you know, unlimited ability for to, to get enough sampling to mean anything. Sure. Uh, uh, we did in our ozone testing, that was sufficient to find that our device, it, it did not discharge ozone, which was about the only good thing I could say about it. And part of the study uh, was very uh, informative. We took all the filters at the end of the year and sent them uh, to a lab for uh, ASHRAE type filter testing to compare after a year with what they did. And uh, was this gravimetric testing yet? Were they weighed looking at the amount of particulate on there or what? Oh, they, they simply retested the MERV efficiency of the filter with the challenge. And then we got a, a good accurate measure of the pressure drop through the filters. Okay. And then the really neat part of our study was we were allowed, we were funded you know, with a few hours to do a literature review. What, what do we actually know about this? So, uh, first of all, there are no accepted standards for particulates in school air. Most of the studies address outdoor particulate matter. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if we can make it available, the, the, uh, my PowerPoint includes references at the end to some of our conclusions. Uh, and, and the bottom line in the indoor studies was uh, there, you know, by controlling particulates better, that there, there was a, uh, you know, predicted improvement for occupants with pre-existing allergy and asthma. Uh, one study looked real good that the fine particulates was making a health improvement. But then you look in the fine print, that was Beijing bringing in the one of the world's most polluted air going through sure. the filter. Uh, and, uh, oh, one thing was interesting here was we, we retested uh, the MERV uh, and we found it went all over the place. Some of the MERV 8s went up towards 13. Some of the MERV 13 filters dropped way down. Uh, we've, uh, the pressure drop, we found that the air cleaning uh, system, the pressure drop had gone down so far, it was, you know, eventually, uh, you know, actually useless by that time. And it was $1,700 extra cost over filters to, to install. And lots of these have been installed around the country. Uh, so our bottom line on health was uh, research is insufficient to say that occupant health will be improved, except where school is located near a major outdoor source of air pollution. There's a classic study of a school in New Jersey immediately next to a 16 lane highway. <laughs> and hmm. the school we were studying was out in the country in the rural area. Uh, and we, we told the school system continued use of MERV-8 filters is acceptable from a health perspective, at least in the school we were at. Uh, and 
Uh, they got into the, the engineer running this part of the school system was, was very much in agreement. And then uh, this is ironic. Then, then COVID hit and against his recommendation with the public and the politicians, he had to upgrade everything to more 13. And that cost us taxpayers 300,000 a year, but hmm. anyway, interesting. Uh, yeah. So uh, and, and let me, yeah. it, it kind of contradicts itself here. You go back to your, you know, you, you say that um, the upgrade did seem to have an effect for kids with allergy and asthma, but not an effect overall. I'm a little confused there. Okay. So uh, we didn't do a health study as part of this, but looking at the available studies, uh, reducing Particulate uh, really has a potential health benefit. However, uh, one of the biggest impacts we saw in monitoring these schools for the year was this school had horrible custodial work. And and I see good work by, uh, you know, some custodians. Absolutely. the The rooms we were studying just accumulated dust over the course of the year. And you don't see it. It's all on the higher surfaces. And that represents a significant exposure that could be prevented. And that exposure doesn't even go through the HVAC filters. And uh, so, and the allergens uh, are, the, the bigger particle ones are pretty well controlled by the lower MERS. The finer ones, yeah, they, they are controlled better. Uh, and, uh, and, and the health effects uh, of most of the indoor air issues we see are more in the sensitive population and the, certainly in the mold and, and potentially in the virus areas. It's the people like me with bad immune systems. I had a transplant or people with severe uh, pre-existing asthma, you know, that, that that's where they can be affected. Okay. Well, let's get to your final conclusions on this one, and then we're going to have to wrap it up, Ed. Okay. So what I'm doing now is getting ready for the best part of the program, which is a funny <laughs> song. Hey, okay. before you go to that too, I want to make sure if Cliff has any questions, he can jump in. Ed, um, yeah, being close to Washington, D.C., as you are, you know, in that beltway, um, did you find that, number one, this school, that, that some schools never spent the money, and then number two, some schools spent the money on teacher training and critical race theory and stuff like that, rather than putting the money into the schools? Oh, that, absolutely, and this is not, this is the United States. And, and some school districts with richer people are more funded. However, maintenance budgets, uh, custodial budgets uh, keep going down. And you simply look at the cleanliness of the schools and the functioning of the HVAC. And this is all over the place. And then billions were pumped in through COVID for, uh, you know, to be used, uh, encouraged for ventilation. And uh, most of those funds have been put in, put into the stuff that I'm saying hasn't been shown to be effective. Uh, 
and oh, and the administrative stuff, the screening, the social distancing, the controlling the occupancies, and paying attention to the community infection rates for how strict you want to go. That stuff costs, and I, I'm afraid our you know the the money going to extra doodads for HVAC and fancy uh, sanitizing around the clock. Uh, it's taking money out of that. <laughs> hey, Ed, well, thank you so much for joining us. And I want to mention that uh, for listeners, go to afterthoughts.iaqradio.com. We'll continue the discussion after the show here. But before we go, it wouldn't be an Ed Light show without a little bit of a song. Ed, let's finish it up with a song. Okay, so uh, I've been at home a lot for two years, so uh, nothing better to do. I've written some songs. So here's Cyrus the Virus. <laughs> Rode my Harley to the drive through Nurse stuck me up the nose. She said, Honey, you done gone viral. Cooties from head to toe. So I took three snorts of moonshine and got another test. Nurse said, Hiding you're clear now, but Doc made me confess. Cyrus, the virus, you better watch your tail. Here comes Cyrus, the virus, they all began to wail. Yeah, Cyrus, the virus, don't you feel a little Omicron? Cyrus, the virus, I'm getting out right quick. Hiccups turned to coughing, got weak in my knees. I felt like some old dish rag and then began to sneeze. My monkey got the virus, my my iguanas got the gout. When those two get together, you can hear them twist and shout. Cyrus, the virus, I'll watch your tail. Here comes Cyrus, the virus, they all began to wail. Cyrus, the virus, don't you feel a little sick? Oh my God. Cyrus, the virus, I'm getting out right quick. Oh my God. That's it. <laughs> uh, thank you, Ed Light. Always a pleasure to have Mr. Ed Light join us talking about practice to research for indoor environmental quality. Also, don't forget to check out the afterthoughts.iaqradio.com for a discussion after the show. Next week, the Z-Man is coming to us live from the winter break at the Florida Mold Conference, and uh, he'll have some interesting guests A lot of great presentations down there from the Moisture Mob and others. So we'll be back next Friday at noon. Uh, I want to thank uh, my co-host, the Z-Man at the controls. John, you got to have faith. Of course, Ed Light for joining us today. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners and sponsors. We'll be back next Friday at noon with the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reel saying thanks for listening. 